Stardate Unknown, the year 2422. The Defiant has been pulled out of mothballs to try and help rescue Ben Sisko from a prison in displaced time. This is the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Hello there, um, Star Trek fans. Uh, This is Mike uh, from the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Um, Just to let you know some little behind the scenes things here, uh, we record these podcasts um, a couple of weeks in advance, um, primarily because I am the sole person who has to sort of edit them and get everything together. Um, So you would probably have noticed um, a little bit of a delay when it comes to sort of current news and things. But we did not want to uh, let this moment pass at time of recording um, and, and miss this opportunity, particularly as we're going to be reviewing an episode of Deep Space Nine this week, um, to say um, we wanted to extend our deep sympathies uh, at the loss of the amazing Louise Fletcher. Um, it's a sad loss to the movie and Star Trek communities. She was, uh, to, to paraphrase one of her Deep Space Nine producers, she was Grace personified. Uh, and I do think uh, it's incredible. Um, again, I can't remember who I saw on Twitter post this, but somebody did say it's incredible to think that Kai Wynn only appeared in 14 episodes of uh, of the 170-odd DS9. Uh, her influence and presence were stronger than that. Um, Louise also obviously won an Academy Award for playing Nurse Ratched in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, one of the greatest films ever and almost certainly one of the best performances um and yeah she was the fact that she graced star trek at all was incredible but she seemed dedicated to deep space nine and to the fans and she made a character that was so easy to love to hate i suppose in a lot of ways and kind of seemed like she appreciated the fan response to that and uh, appreciated everything about the show as well dk did you have any thoughts you wanted to share about uh, about louise fletcher or, or anything uh, yeah i uh i remember watching one flew over the cuckoo's nest when i was a lot lot younger and you know she, I, I watched an oscar speech the other day where she said how she loved to be hated in that role and yes she was even at a young age i i hated her at that which is just a testament to uh to her acting capabilities because from what i've read to all intents and purposes she was a lovely person off screen she just seemed to have a knack for playing these characters that people love to hate and apparently she loved loved doing that weirdly enough i think it was just a day or two before hearing the news we were watching an old 80s movie called strange invaders and she was pretty much the highlight of that movie she was the only one that could actually act uh and strangely enough she wasn't actually playing a villain she was playing a shady character but not an out and out villain and I remember thinking at the time it was nice to see her actually play someone that uh, wasn't morally dubious. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's such a shame. And 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 as I said, since then, I've uh, someone posted her uh, Oscar acceptance speech for her role as Ratched in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and it 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 brought me to tears. She's such mm. she seemed like such a nice person in real life, and uh, it's such a shame that we've lost another good person. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, as I, if I remember correctly, it was Jeffrey Combs, I believe, who posted she was gravitas personified and a pleasure to work with. So, yeah, yeah. Um, just just a classic, great actor. I think um, you know it's it's we see it a lot, but the the term really means something when it's somebody that good. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, express our condolences to obviously 
uh, to Louise Fletcher's friends and family and all of the Deep Space Nine family, uh, which again, has suffered quite a lot of loss at recent times, but that work will live on. Um, and even though we're not reviewing an episode which features uh, Win Adami today, um, I'm sure it will come up again at some point uh, with an episode that we review uh, that character. And um, yeah, otherwise, I would just like to say from all of us at, uh, at the podcast, uh, Louise Fletcher, rest in peace. Welcome back, Star Trek and podcast fans, to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, uh, and to the next episode in this, our third season, the time travel-themed season. Uh, as you can see up on your screen at the moment, um, today we are going to be reviewing the Deep Space Nine episode, The Visitor, uh, a fairly famous episode, um, but I don't do it alone. As always, I'm joined by regular co-host DK. Hello there. And uh, we are thrilled to be joined once again, uh, a returning guest for the second time, by uh, Mr. Dominic Martin. Hello. Hello, Dominic. That's... And I know you're a big fan of DS9 in this episode, so I wanted to get your uh, your two cents on it. So, Oh, yes, I am. Um, I do love DS9. It's one of my favorites of the of the treks. Like, the treks I'm very the... much a big fan of the 90s treks as it is. Like, the 80s and 90s, if you include TNG. Um, hmm. uh, it's my favorite era, bar none. And yeah, just a DS9 for me represents like the peak of Trek in a sense, in terms yeah. of its dramatic capabilities. I'd say, I mean, for a wholesome family feel, I say wholesome, um, TNG, <laughs> unbeatable, yeah. Um, but DS9 is for your proper drama stuff, and I uh, really respect it for that. Yeah, fair enough. Awesome. Uh, that's cool. Yes. Well, um, as I said, we uh, if you are new to the podcast, we break it down into little sections that I give cool geeky Star Trek names. Uh, but don't worry, we'll uh, we'll hold your hand and guide you through it if you are new here. Uh, but the first of our sections that I like to jump into is just a little getting to know you and a couple of uh, Trekkie-esque questions. Uh, and it's a section that I like to call Healing Frequencies Open. <laughs> Healing Frequencies Open, sir. Uh, so, Dom, as I mentioned, you've been here once before, but um, I, to all returning guests, I like to ask a few questions because, well, um, I, I did that the first time around. I think I'd asked your favorite sort of episodes and series and whatnot. Ah, um, yes. Yeah. So to make it a little bit different this time around, uh, without putting you too much on the spot, could you potentially name a top three characters in all of Star Trek? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. OK, that's that's a very right character, Wasta. <laughs> um all right uh okay uh, i have to pick a ge fairly generic one that i do love but mm -hmm. i'll have to say jean-luc picard is nice absolutely one of my favorites characters ever yeah. because i just love this his boldness his straightforwardness but is also like his character development throughout like the, the series to the movies he's just mm -hmm. is 
if you compare him in series season one and then look at him in series season seven, he has fully grown into such a marvelous captain and he's so fair. And, you know, I mean, yeah, he's just, I think he is like the archetypical, the, the perfect Star Trek captain, in my humble opinion. I know there are certainly others that are more, yeah. I guess, slightly more iconic. And by that, I mean one, I mean Kirk, but, you know, well, he's certainly fair something. Enough, yeah, um, but no, I we, love Picard. We share our love of uh, Picard as uh, in the captain's chair for sure. But um, just out of curiosity, have you seen any of Star Trek Picard? I unfortunately have not seen the series in its entirety, a second series in its entirety. I've seen the first right. series, uh, okay. second and series haven't seen. I've only seen the first episode of the second season, um, but uh, the third season is the one that I'm basically going to be glued to watching. Like, yeah, of course. I think everyone is. Yeah. <laughs> Big TNG yeah. reunion. Awesome. Awesome. Oh Sorry goodness. to interrupt anyway. So, yeah, any other characters right. that you wanted to uh, throw out? Um, I love Spock. Spock is just yeah. like a legend. That was also, you're going to end up picking the same three as me, I feel like. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got when so I was my three as well. <laughs> I was interviewed by DK to, to give mine, and I think I definitely had Jean Luc Picard and Spock. I can't remember the third, but uh, they're that just the best be characters. <laughs> it's the best. I love them. The Spock is just he is brilliant in how like he uh, logically is, but his human side as well. The way they explore his how he handles his human side, uh, mm. there's so much about it that I just love. And um, whilst I'm yet to uh, see Strange New Worlds, that uh, the how they handle his character there is a massive motivation for me to actually sit down and watch it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But awesome classic Spock is. All, uh, yeah. legitimately just one of my favorite characters and portrayals of all time and i love him in the movies as well oh um, yeah definitely definitely rough <laughs> khan and undiscovered country yeah. is just some of the shining pieces for him you picked the two that he didn't direct intriguingly <laughs> i mean yeah this is true but you know directing and <laughs> acting in very different but no but i do think it's impressive when you think that like obviously he's not really in three much but think of no. star trek four as a an achievement in acting and directing oh, yeah. it's even more impressive yeah voyage home is, oh i have a very very soft spot for voyage home yeah it's, the one with the wheels it's a, yeah it's a glorious movie i mean imagine just showing that as a trilogy to uh a, a partner or something being like okay so it starts off very dramatically the middle is very dramatic and then the fourth one the, the third one rather wales um <laughs> Not the country. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a. Tr I, I have to do that to somebody someday. I just sit them down and make them watch that trilogy. And oh, I've just... done it before. It's a. It, it plays really well. It's a great little trilogy because oh, it kind of is nice that it ends on that high. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a bit of a breather, and I, I just adore it. It was my mum's favorite of the movies, and uh, wow, yeah, wow. We very much uh, took that love of uh, the voyage home from her. And yeah, oh, that's, that's, very that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of my love of the original series is from my mom because she was the first oh. one that showed me it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, That's marvelous. She doesn't like any of the others, so we don't. Oh. We don't win no, we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. I kid, I kid. Um, but yeah, so a third character then, maybe? <laughs> oh, God. Okay, now. Um, this is where you name like 10 people that are all going to be in slot number three. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's the thing. I've got so many like just below. I mean, I could. I could pick McCoy, I could pick Scotty, I love them both, I love Geordie. Ah, this is, it's difficult, but I'm going to mm. go with 
a character that I adore and I always believe should get more love whenever possible, and that would be Garak. Oh, yes, of course. Oh. Yeah, very popular character. Yeah. 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 I love Garak. <laughs> Just his wit, his uh, very, you know, uh, not quite more. His moral ambiguity is a way to put it. Yeah. Um, mm. It just makes him such a fascinating and interesting character, very wonderfully portrayed by Andrew Robinson. Uh, oh, yeah, it was just and there's something about him that is just lights up the screen every time he's on it, and his uh, his dynamic with Bashir is something that I love a lot about yeah. the early seasons of DS9. Yeah, so, yeah, it's very, very, very cool guy, very cool character, and uh, who loves everybody loves a tailor, especially as a cosplayer. <laughs> yeah definitely yeah awesome no i've seen a lot of people starting to do uh cardassian cosplays and stuff and uh oh, garak is pop quite popular but i would imagine it's a nightmare to get the makeup and the ridges and scales and everything on it so oh yeah i mean just trying to do that would be a massive undertaking you need some proficiency with uh prosthetics to be able to pull it off properly i mean i couldn't do it just on my own, even if I was like given a how-to guide, because I am yeah. terrible with, with prosthetics. I mean, the best kind of makeup I can do is an Anakin Skywalker scar, and that's about it. Nice. So uh... <laughs> that's fair enough. We, it's we, a straight uh... line. It's a straight line down your eye. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's your first warning for bringing up the other Star franchise. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh. I'm joking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that's that's three great characters, as you say, and they, and they kind of get increasingly complex when you think so yeah i like that. yeah um awesome uh what was i going to say so yes um before we move to the the next section uh just since we're doing time travel themed things this series without necessarily ranking or anything do you have any favorite time travel stories throughout trek other than the one we're discussing today obviously <laughs> <laughs> of course um now another one that i have grown to love a lot because of my mum uh she was a massive fan of this episode and we watched it every time there was on like uh, the horror channel, uh, and that would be City on the Edge of Forever. Oh yes, we're reviewing oh. that in literally the next episode. <laughs> oh my goodness, nice. Yeah, I'm I'm making Will watch it because he's never seen he's seen like five episodes of Trek Total, and I'm waiting to hit him with that one because it's probably Ooh. my favorite all time Trek. So. That is my favorite all time Trek episode. Also, <laughs> it is absolutely incredible, isn't it? It's just uh, Joan Collins, wonderful, I know, right? Incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. We'll be. We'll be saying plenty about that because I've already started making the notes and stuff for the next episode. So Brilliant. lots to say about that, definitely. Um, <laughs> awesome. And, uh, yeah, anything else? Um, Obviously, Voyage Home, now I think about it, would yeah, count. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Voyage Home would count as well. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I was just trying to think through what what appeals, what appeals. Oh, there is, uh, what's it called? I can't remember the title. It's the one where they uh, go go to the uh, slightly not quite present, but slightly future in DS9. Past um, tense. That's the one. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed that one a lot. That's, again, a one that sticks to my mind. Um, you should definitely carry on watching season two of Picard then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, same time, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That so, makes sense. <laughs> uh, lots of nice Easter egg references that are not... They're not really spoilers because it's kind of Easter eggs if you like those DS9 episodes. Like, oh, I recognise that location or that prop or that bit of set. And it's just a nice way of tying it all together, I think. so. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's another uh, another shred of motivation. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, popular episodes, those as well. Yeah, that would... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that concludes the sort of little 
getting to know each other chat not that we don't know each other but you know <laughs> um so if you are new to us as i say the next section would always be what i like to call the hit or miss section what about my performance i'm not a drama critic so what we uh, basically do with the hit or miss section anyway is uh, i am basically going to pick seven things since it's only a single episode we're reviewing uh, just completely random things from anywhere in the trek universe except that I want a couple of them to be time travel related to try and keep us on theme. Uh, nobody knows uh, that's in here other than me what they're going to be, so it'll be the first time DK and Dom have heard what these mm. things are. Um, I will pop the picture up and explain for the audio listeners what it is, uh, and then ask uh, Dom as the guest for his opinion, then DK for his, and then debate back and forth if we have any disagreements or things that we wanted to, <laughs> to talk about in regards to that. And there's a nice mix of, sort of characters, ships, and episodes. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Okay. Uh, well, if uh, if you're all ready, I will move to the first one if I can. You're all set for this? Oh, yes. Go for uh, it. So this first choice was frankly a little bit uh, that I chose for, for DK's benefit. Uh, it's a character, and hit or miss, the character of Christine Chapel. And uh, we'll start with you, Dom. <laughs> ah, Nurse Chapel. I love Nurse Chapel. Oh, she's really cool. Yeah, I mean, she didn't get that much screen time, really. But yeah, I really enjoyed the moments that she did. And of course, that is uh, Major Barrett, I believe, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. First lady absolutely. of Star Trek. As she's known. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed her a lot in uh, as a Nurse Chapel whenever she did come on screen. But uh, mm. yeah. I can't really fault the character as well based on that alone. So, you know, it's just... Well, she uh, gets lots of cool, um, the sort of romantic, what's the word I'm looking for? Unrequited love with Spock. Whenever that that comes up, it tends to be quite well written uh, by Dorothy Fontana, I think. So, Admittedly, I'm not too familiar with the new reincarnation, but... um, Right. Well, you haven't watched Strange New World, so that's fair enough. That's understandable. Yeah, yeah. So... um, but yeah, DK has a, a massive thing for her, which is why I brought this ah. up. So, DK, your thoughts on Jess Bush in general? <laughs> oh, wow. What can I say? No, I, uh, I loved the character. I loved her in the original series when it was, uh, you know, played by Majel. But she was more of a, how can I put this, a motherly figure. Uh, she was a bit Jess- of a doormat as well, if we're honest, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Jess Bush is definitely not a doormat in Strange New Worlds. And she's definitely not a motherly figure to me in Strange New World. And I I just adore her. I'm not sure how how easy it will be by series end to reconcile the betrayal of both actress. Mm. But uh, but yeah, I just think she's uh, either, either performance, I just think it's a it's a fantastic character. And it's nice that she's finally getting a due with Strange New mm. World. Yeah. I will say I think they did really uh, right by the character when they got to the movies because they kind of realized that she was, you know, a little bit treated a bit unfairly and maybe a little bit sexist and stuff. So it was good as soon as the motion picture came out that she was a doctor now. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. You know, she had actually, uh, you know, progressed a little bit further than just hand me that hypo spray nurse, which was kind of good. So I think yeah. in Trek 4, she was uh, heading up uh, Starfleet Medical, wasn't she? Uh, yeah, I think I don't think it's ever explicitly mentioned, but it was. she definitely is in it and appears. And I think it's something along those lines. Yeah, so... Awesome, awesome. See, I, I think I would probably say, um, I can't even remember the episode now. I, I'm going to be a, crucified for being a terrible Trekkie. But the one where um, they kind of, the, they lose their inhibitions and she kind of, oh, I think it, it was probably the naked time now I think about it, where ah. um, Spock can almost sort of admit to having feelings and she's, 
he's struggling with it, obviously, as a Vulcan, and she's obviously, you know, completely madly in love with him and not afraid to show it at this point. So I think that's one of the strongest performances. And even little moments like a mock time when she's like giving him the soup and stuff because he's suffering the uh, the pawn bar. So yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, so yeah. Uh, final uh, final word. Then I'm going to say hit personally. Uh, what would you say, Dom? Hit. And DK. Definitely a hit. So that's three hits for Christine Chapel. Uh, so I'm going to move on to the next thing, if I can. Uh, and the next thing is a ship. But this is time travel related, so this feeds into the theme. Uh, so hit or miss, the USS Relativity. Dom, are you familiar with it? <laughs> Does the oh! image help, Chuck? <laughs> USS Relativity. Uh, that's, oh my goodness. That's from Voyager, isn't it? Is it? Voyager? It is. It was in the episode yeah. called Relativity, but it only appeared that once. So, <laughs> yeah, I can barely remember that episode, but I just knew it was Voyager. But I can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an all right design. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I can't think of anything notable to say about this except Sarah Dynamic. Yeah. Well, it travels in time, so <laughs> and travels in time. So it's basically a bloated TARDIS. I was just going to say, it kind of is a slightly uglier TARDIS, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's nothing all that memorable to say about it other than it travels through time and it looks kind of, yeah, it's it's aerodynamic looking. <laughs> so, yeah. What about, what about you, DK? Any thoughts on the relativity? Is, wasn't this uh, wasn't this captain by the actor Bruce McGill? It was playing Braxton returning from Future's End. Yeah. I do like the fact that uh, in the future, the Federation has finally grasped the concept that, yeah, we do, in, we do far too much time travel. Let's have an entire di fleet division <laughs> based on this thing that we're not supposed to do that we end up doing anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. It's I, I, I would like to see more from this kind of series of ships. It would be mm. nice to have them introduced maybe again in Strange New Worlds. I can't see... Uh, Disco having done it because isn't no it, Discovery uh, tends to avoid time travel. I think now that they kind of have yeah. to. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I like it. Yeah, definitely. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I would say the same. I like it, but it's 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 unremarkable. But I would also love to see a series, maybe even set in this time. Now that we've skipped over it with Discovery, so uh, I I kind of was always fascinated, and I, I've probably said this many a time on the podcast and to you guys individually, but I did write when I was in university some Star Trek fan fiction, basically, and it was a series that was set on one of these timeships, um, but it looked nicer than this. It was kind of a large version of the timeship Aeon that I designed. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, I was intrigued by the idea of just, like, vessels that can travel in time and uh, and the nature of what Starfleet was like when it was a time travel organization because we don't really see a lot of that but i would still say you know soft hit for the relativity personally um what about you dom hit or, or miss or yeah, you soft middle hit. ground soft hit. it's <laughs> all awesome. right isn't it i can't really complain it does the job <laughs> so yeah <laughs> what about you dk yeah it's a professional hit a provisional hit sorry provisional, provisional <laughs> hit. That's, a, that's an entirely different thing <laughs> <laughs> wow, you hit it that much, you're gonna get it killed. Okay, wow, okay. The machine gun will be coming back soon. <laughs> so uh that's another hit then. So that's quite positive so far. Uh the next thing I partly put in for Dom's benefit, because as a cosplayer and somebody who loves them, I know he's into uniforms. Uh, and it is specifically hit or miss the lower decks uniforms. There we go. Oh, the lower decks uniforms. Dom, thoughts. <laughs> They're interesting. I have to say they're interesting because uh, when I first saw them, 
admittedly, it screwed me up a bit because it's like, hang on a minute. Uh, wh why are they going back to cut? This is set not long after Nemesis. This, that's the one year, isn't it? Um, yeah. And then uh, in this series progressed, then they got the Nemesis costumes actually in the show. And it's just like, oh, so they're operating concurrently? What? Uh, yeah, one thing, there's one, too many of them. <laughs> literally, one bugbear about this new era of Trek that kicked off with like Discovery and all that, especially... Uh, well, yeah, the entirety of it. Uniform consistency is absolutely messed up. Um, <laughs> effed up, yes, quite so. Yeah, and I take it you haven't. Um, do, do you watch Lower Decks? I have watched Lower Decks. Yeah, I do watch Lower have, Decks. Yeah, I've only seen, seen the. First the uh, oh, okay, I was going to say because the latest episode that aired at time of recording literally made a joke and a point about the sheer number of uniforms that are currently in service. <laughs> so I was. They really yeah. lampshaded it because they're a comedy and can do that. So, yeah, there's a guy yeah. who's like, if your uniforms are so great, how come you change them all the time? <laughs> that is a good point. Because, like, <laughs> over the entire Picard era, like, even the Picard flashbacks had a completely different uniform design. Would yeah, and Prodigy sense? at the same time as well Prodigy has a different... Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> would have made just sense just to keep the Nemesis... I mean, the first contact uniform. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, just keep it the grey military uniforms. I mean... The, the thing is with the lower decks uniforms, it's very clear to me that they just hybrid hybridized the, uh, the rough car uniforms and the TNG uniforms. Yeah, yeah. but those are the two best ones. <laughs> I know, but at the same time, it's just like, what's the point? What is yeah. the point? Uh, you don't need to segregate them. In fact, it would have been cooler. I mean, I can guess uh, because of animation and everything, they wanted all the colors and everything. I, mean, I guess that's fair enough. But, yeah. you know, it, it comes a point where it's just it's too many uniforms and yeah sure. uh, it feels like the the consistency just starts to go out of window i mean now uh, it was oh it was tolerable in like the tng stroke voyager ds9 era where the both the um the ds9 uniforms and the tng uniforms were existing concurrently um, that was kind of preluded by a period where the uh, season one and season two uniforms were still in service with the season three TNG uniforms. Yeah, um, <laughs> could kind of get around that. I mean, uh, generally it depended on what duty you had. But yeah. now they're seemingly doing they're treating the uh, uniform designs like they're treating uh, the badges at uh, the combat. Well, not combat badges, just, you know, insignias in the yeah. TOS series. Just like we've got we're now at a point where each ship nearly has its own uniform design. Yeah, and I feel that's kind of counterproductive because there comes a point when yeah. you're oversaturating cabinet uniforms there. When do they stop becoming recognizably Starfleet? When do they yeah, stop, you know, sure. becoming uh, less? Uh, because part of the uniform's design is to identify them as a member mm. of Starfleet. So when does it become unrecognizable? When are people going to start being like, okay, where are you from? Uh, you're yeah. completely different to what we've seen before. And that was only two days ago. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. To be fair yeah. to uh, the lower decks, to give them their dues, they are the only one of the current shows that has explained why the uniforms are different. Because they make a point of saying it's only the California class as the kind of, you know, lower workhorse grunt ships that have these uniforms so at least they try to explain it and at least as you said they did bring in the kind of um, first contact era uniforms so that yeah. they pointed out like that's the one that's in massive use of, across the whole fleet and we just have our little sort of colorful one for the uh the lower rank of ship yeah but then as you said it kind of got messed up when prodigy introduced a whole other variant and picard had others in its flashbacks and now yeah and um, picard <laughs> also had a separate uniform design in the first season and then they changed it again for the second yep. season 
that was Why? so silly because it's so similar as well that it was just completely pointless it's to just, change it. Yeah, I mean, it's just the DS9 uniform just slightly altered and modernised. Yeah. It's nothing unique to it, but I, you know what? I, maybe I'm just bitter that they didn't just canonize the all good things uniform. Yeah, well, they did. That's that's also in use. Well, that, that's oh a God, slight yeah. spoiler. That's a slight spoiler, but that's also in use in Prodigy on the Dauntless. So, oh, like for that, God's sake! <laughs> so that's now canon at the same time as well. How? Just, and they all Why? have different com badges as well. It's so weird. <laughs> this is terrible for my ADHD. It's terrible. <laughs> I understand the feeling, but um, yeah. So, but if you had to pick one to kind of go forward with out of all of these multiple ones in the new era, which one would you would you pick as your favorite? Because I would say Lower Decks personally, since I like that it's the two best uniforms and it's colorful. It's got the next gen vibes. Um, yeah. Um, if I have to pick one. Then I would agree with the lower decks uniform being taken forward and maybe just you know yeah. darkened a bit to make it a bit more uh, uh, realistic, as it were. Because I mean, yeah. if you look at like some of the cosplays, uh, it doesn't translate as well. I don't think. As, no, and I would um, yeah. I would definitely change the combat because that's one thing I've always hated about it is that it's so simplistic they didn't add anything to the delta. And oh no! It's just, I think it's, it would I mean, look it would look very good if they had the August things insignia. Uh, yeah, combat. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look great. So yeah, I would choose that one uh, because I I personally really enjoy having the the black section on the shoulders mm. and the color below. Personally, the TNG uniforms are my favorite, but I do love the Voyager uniforms. But uh, yeah. I sense most uniforms these days are taking more inspiration from the Voyager uniforms. But you know what? It just hit me. My my favorite uniform of live action rise is the Picard flashback one. Flashback one. Yeah, it's such a shame that didn't get all that much use because it was just a flashback and then they moved on from it really quickly because it yeah. is good. Yeah, yeah, that should have been the one that is stuck through. That could have been a really iconic design because it feels it feels really cool. And I can imagine them now with, uh, you know, the Federation moving a bit out of wartime and they could go back yeah. to those colours. Uh, sure. And it was yeah. it was nice having the gold highlights on Picard's because he was an admiral yeah. as well. It looked good, cool. nice. popped really well. Good. Like it doesn't always work, but it does on those uniforms. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Sorry about the rant, but yeah, I, I feel that's very fine. passionately about this. <laughs> that's fine. That's what that's what we're here for. So yeah, DK, do you have any thoughts after all? Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to concur with you two guys. I like the lower decks uniform for what it is. Uh, I like that it translates well. Obviously, it was designed for the animation. I think it uh, it looks good in the animation. Would it work so well outside? Probably not, unless you know, as Dom says, it's darkened. I do think it's it's a decent design. Again, the consistency over the the different iterations of the franchise could be tightened somewhat. But for what it mm. is, yeah, it's okay. Interestingly, we will see how it transfers to live action. When Strange New World season two drops. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if 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 anybody's unaware, there's a crossover event between L Lower Decks and Strange New World. What? Yeah. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Okay, that's gonna be interesting. How are they gonna balance the tones? Uh, well, Strange New World isn't that dark. It's very much. It's it it, it tries really hard to be the original series tone, if you know what I mean. So. It's mm. not serialized like a lot of the current track. It's literally episode of the week, um, but with some follow through. And it's quite lighthearted, I would say, personally, um, compared to, definitely compared to Discovery and Picard. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, why a lot of people really love it, because they see it as a return to that kind of optimistic, 
spirit of exploration fun trek you know so but uh, yeah i think it'll fit it would fit better there than any of the other series except maybe prodigy so yeah. awesome uh, but yeah i'm gonna say in regards to the lower decks uniform personally a hit i really like it with the proviso that i wish they'd added something to the combat rather than nothing um what about you tom sorry what was the question again the signal cut out for me <laughs> lower decks uniform sorry would you say they're a hit or a miss I'm going to say they were... Yeah, I'd say they're a hit for animation. Fair enough. And DK? Yeah, they're a hit for what they are. Awesome. awesome. Uh, right, so I'll move us to the, the fourth thing, where the next thing on the list is an episode, but it's not time travel related, and I have absolutely no idea why I picked this. So there we go. Uh, and it's a next-gen episode. So hit or miss, Japs, the episode, Darmok from Next Generation. <laughs> Uh, Dom, are you Darmok. familiar with the episode? Or? And Gerard at Tanagra. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I haven't seen this episode in years, but I remember really liking it. Um, it is one of the iconic episodes, really. It's one of the, like, a extremely popular episode. Um, mm. I... God, it's been so long. I can barely remember what actually happened, apart from that quote. <laughs> I'm, I vaguely remember it when I watched it, probably like five or six or longer years ago. Yeah. Um, but I think it was one of those high concept, clever episodes mm. that Patrick Stewart really excelled in, in terms of yes. the material as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, I, I have, I have no negative feeling regarding it. So therefore I assume I very much liked it. So <laughs> yeah, Fair enough. Um, I'll, uh, I'll ask DK for his opinion. Uh, DK, first of all, what did you think of the episode? I love one of this. I love this one. It's one of my uh, most memorable episodes of Next Generation, as I assume it's one of everyone's most memorable episodes of Next Generation. Well, is that a dig at Dom? <laughs> Apart from me, well, obviously. It's, uh, it's most uh... memorable. I didn't remember it. That's because I haven't seen it in a very long time. Thanks, Docky Who. <laughs> It is, it is a really good episode, and it just makes me miss Paul Winfield all the more. Yeah, he's so good, even in uh, Star Trek II as Captain, which uh, when I found out it's the same actor, it blew my mind. The cop from Terminator, the um, doomed Captain of the Reliant from Star Trek II, and this alien from Darmok, the same actor. Bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Really, really um, good episode. Very good. Awesome. But yeah, bottom line, as I say, a fascinating, very Trek concept, very out there and unique and original. So a big hit for me. It's an episode that I love. And uh, Dom, what about you? Which episode are we talking about? Sorry. Um, Dom, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to rewatch it now. Honestly. Shaka when the walls fell, Dom. <laughs> oh, <for God's> sake, <laughs> I'm going to hear that. I'm going to hear it and just be like, Mike! <laughs> <laughs> what about you, DK? Well, that's a that's a sentiment I I have every day. Uh, yeah, it's a big hit. Awesome, awesome. So that's we're we're doing really well. We haven't really come up with all that much negativity at all yet. So no. we'll see if that can continue because uh, we are back on the time travel theme and we're back on ships <clears throat> and ships that only appeared once in canon, at least. Uh, so. Hit or miss the Starship Enterprise, but the Enterprise J. Oh. <laughs> and do you need me to remind you about its singular oh. appearance? <laughs> I know, I remember this one. <laughs> Thoughts, Dom. <laughs> it's a pancake. <laughs> it's a pancake with an antenna. 
This is so my not... least, it's my least favorite enterprise design of all time. I do oh. not like it whatsoever. It's just a strange dish that is just. Oh, I do not know. I mean, I, well, I do know. I mean, they're clearly going for in the future. Uh, mm. Everything's a lot more different now. This isn't like anything you've seen before when it still just looks like a flattened NX01. <laughs> yeah, well, I think yeah. that was the point. They they kind of mentioned that they were specifically trying to make it look both futuristic and tie back to the NX01 since it was in Star Trek Enterprise, but it just doesn't fully work to do that. And No, uh, it shouldn't try to harken back to an incredibly outdated ship design at that yeah. point in time. Exactly, uh, that's the thing. It's, you can see none of the other Enterprise evolutions in it. No. But it, yeah, but it tries to... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> and I mean, it's, yeah, it's... I, I no, I really don't like it. It, it just <laughs> and I, I another bugbear is that like just this is just nine tiny nitpick, but you can't see the registry number on it. Yeah. What's mm. even more annoying is when you uh, if you get the model from Eagle Moss, it has the registry number on, but not the name USS Enterprise. Oh, so it God. just and it doesn't have the J. It just says NCC seventeen oh one, which bugged me no end when the yeah. model. Oh, it's really not though. <laughs> it's not the it's not the OG. What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think it was it was kind of a kind of rush job when it was like, ah, oh, it'll appear for a little bit, so they didn't give too much thought to it, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I'll give my thoughts in a second. But uh, what about you, DK? Oh. I'm, did either of you have one of those Fisher Price record players when you were a kid? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Possibly. It's a Fisher Price record player from the look of it. It's just a little bumps. It probably plays a little Star Trek theme if you put on a, you know, a oh player. My God. Uh, no, I, I don't like it. As you know, I my, I play a lot of Star Trek online, and every so often mm. I see one of these in action, and you mm. look at it and you just think, how? How can that possibly work? It's like yeah. a twig. And no, no, just sorry, yeah. no. I, I think... It's admirable what they were going for, but they kind of failed to... Because I love the concept that this thing is supposed to be, like, practically planet-sized, but there's no nothing to give you that sense of scale in the scene, so it could just be... It could be tiny for all you know. So, um, but I would appreciate if they did, like, oh, it's massive, and that's why it looks maybe a little bit devoid of detail, I guess, of it. And But then why make it flat, which is even odder, and... The ultimate reason that I think it fails for me, and it's it's viewable on screen when you see the ship but it's even more apparent when you get the model is that those warp engines just want to come off yeah. <laughs> they are yeah. not in they are so spindly and fragile that i got the model put it in a cupboard somewhere and was like i'm never touching you again because as soon as i touch you those nacelles are gone they're coming straight yeah. off <laughs> yeah exactly and the thing is it's also it it's been kind of outdone as well with some of the future designs as well mm. like in yeah. Discovery, when they moved to the uh, was the thirty first century, no, what was it second? I think thirty second, yeah, thirty second century. Like you've got the the new Voyager, for example, which I think yeah. is very very cool. But there's no kind of like design consistency if you try to fit the J in. It doesn't it doesn't line up and it doesn't compute. It, yeah, it's just a misnomer on itself. It's kind of yeah. like, I guess it is kind of like the equivalent as the, uh, the is it Crossfield class for Discovery? Discovery, yeah. Yeah. It, 
it's kind of like that in terms of those original series era ships in which it mm. looks extremely different to what is probably at the in the in the rest of the yard um mm. does that make it a good thing no not really mm. it just this just looks it's it's just a bad design it's just too simplistic too simplistic too flat and i yeah i just don't like it you know yeah like yeah. I said, the, the the best thing about it for me is how funny it is that if you get the um the Eagle Moss books of all of the different ship like orthographics and stuff, it has one of them which is a scale chart, so you can see the sizing comparison of the entire fleet. And in the one <laughs> well, the kind of ships that go up to the future, the Enterprise J it just shows you like a tiny section of the nacelle, and it's the entire page because it's supposed to be oh. so ridiculously big. Oh. And it's like by comparison, it would be ridiculous, you know, because <laughs> like, like oh, you could my. fit. You could fit like 17 Enterprise Ds in the size of it or something. So uh, it just comes that? a point. There comes a point where what's the point? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, so, well, you know, people would be, uh, and they did, I think there's a, uh, it might even be on screen on one of the computers that they have like site to site transporters because people would be in a turbo lift for like days to get between the decks and stuff. I was like, all right, this is getting, it's, it's a cool idea, but it is getting a tad ridiculous when you start doing that. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just Terrible. a bit. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say soft miss. I don't hate it as much as some people, but soft miss for me. And uh, what about you, Dom? Yeah, it's a it's a hard miss for me. <laughs> okay, cool. And DK, I'll go middle of the road and just say it's a miss. Fair enough. That's well, that's uh, the negativity. Hopefully, out of the way. But we will see. Um, we've got a couple more left, if that's okay with everyone. So the next one is again time travel themed, uh, and it's a time travel episode and a time travel episode of DS9. Uh, bizarrely and conveniently enough. Uh, so hit or miss for the episode, Children of Time. And again, if you Ooh. need me to jog your memory about what happens, I can't. <laughs> no, no, I remember this one very, very well. I love this one. Awesome. This is, oh, I love the generational plot twists. Mm. It reminds me of like, well, I know it came after, but what was it, E-Squared? I was going to say E-Squared was clearly a ripoff of this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But this is... Oh, I, it's just the way that they handled all those. Uh, his, it would say it's an incredibly terrifying thing to crash land on a planet and find your descendants, and then you're just like, oh, oh crap. Yeah. Um, I, and then you have to, you feel like you're in a predestination paradox where this, this is your fate now. This is what yeah. is going to happen to you. And so just seeing them come to terms with that and be like, fighting against that fate was awesome but I then that little the, yeah sorry yes because yeah, i love the twist at the end of it but i wish they'd explored it more because psychologically there's so much you could have done there and the sheer impact it would have had especially on kira when you think yeah, about yeah. it is it's kind of never really explored um oh, no that's the thing it would have messed messed him up messed him up messed him, messed them all up yeah, completely. I mean, well, yeah, mess, would have messed Odo up as well, obviously, thinking, oh, yeah. what have I done? But especially Kira for like, oh, it's kind of kind of my fault in a manner of speaking that these people are doomed to, well, I guess die, not exist, whatever you want to call it, if we're quibbling. But um, so, yeah, but I like that they ultimately decided to go ahead and have the accident and stuff, but then were foiled yeah. by an outside influence. And it was just a fascinating twist. And anyway, sorry, I interrupted you, Tom, you were saying. Oh, it's okay, yeah. It's, as you're saying, it's just a fascinating twist. That, But it was just remarkable seeing, like, Worf with the, the sort of persuado Klingons that were being formed. 
Yeah. And seeing how all the different characters, their descendants were just living on in memory of them, uh, which is so ghoulish, but it yeah. was handled so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. And even, as you said, we had things like seeing um, like the trill spots on Dax's descendants and stuff. So you were like, oh, mm. this really is kind of weird, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, DK, what about you? Your thoughts on Children of Time? Yeah, I remember really enjoying this one. Uh, like you said, the twist, didn't didn't see that coming. It would have been nice to maybe have this as a two-parter, explore yeah. it a little more. I would have, uh, I always like it when they go into little uh, avenues like this. And Yeah, I remember really enjoying it. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, well, I, I've kind of given my thoughts already. I interrupted Dom to give them. So, yeah, I think it's really good. It's it's underrated, in my opinion, and it's one of the better explorations of time travel and this idea of, as Dom said, a predestination paradox and the effects you can have because you're left with, I guess, the ultimate Kobayashi Maru, ultimate no-win scenario where it's, you know, free yourself and go to live on your life or have the accident and, you know, keep your descendants alive. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and like I said, even though it seems obvious in retrospect, the idea that the decision was taken out of their hands ultimately, I think, really works. So for me, I think it's a, it's a massive hit. Uh, what about you, Dom? Yeah, absolutely a big hit. I love this episode, and it's definitely one of my uh, favourite of the of the time travel ones that um, I'm glad that you brought up, because uh, when you brought up the question earlier, I was thinking about them going back in time, not forward. So mm. yeah. This is really cool. Uh, it's a really, really good uh, episode, and uh, definitely one of those that I would, I would uh, definitely rewatch on a regular occasion. Awesome, awesome. Uh, DK, what about you? Yeah, it's a third hit from me. Awesome, awesome. Uh, well, I've got one more then, and this is just a random character that I threw in because I wanted to bring Deep Space Nine into the occasion again. Um, again, not particularly time travel related or anything, but hit or miss, the character of Joseph Cisco. Right. Um, and we'll start with you, Dom. Oh, I love Joseph. <laughs> it's like a proper, like a, a proper dad, a proper granddad. Uh, I love mm. him and is uh, exceptionally well performed. But and you just feel the family, the family bond between Cisco and him. Mm. It's so wholesome, and they just so much care between those two. I, whenever he comes up, it's always a joy to see him there, and it's always interesting. I really like him, and uh, yeah, I would love to taste one of his uh, one of his delightful dishes in his restaurant. It was nice that um, Lower Deck showed that his restaurant still exists. Yeah, <laughs> Ketrasol White uh, Hot. <laughs> yes, Ketrasol White Hot Sauce, indeed. <laughs> so, what about you, DK? What are your thoughts? I love it. It was, I mean, it was great to see Brock Peters again. And yep. uh, as Dom says, you can feel the uh, familial bond through the TV. It was great to watch uh, Avery Brooks and uh, and Brock play against each other. Love him. I think he's a great character. Definitely. And I personally love the idea that a bit like Spock's father, he wasn't fussed about Cisco joining Starfleet, but unlike Sarek, he was way supportive of it anyway. But he still yeah. has the odd dig every now and then. So one of the lines I always remember is... Um, Oh, are things really as bad as the new service claims? Maybe worse. Oh, you didn't raise me to be a liar. I raised you to be a chef for all the good it did me. <laughs> that's the kind of conversation you could just imagine having with your parents. Like, yeah. all right, Dad, I didn't go to the career you wanted, whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So that's uh, it's such a good character. And just the idea of um, the Creole kitchen and stuff. Like, where did they come up with the idea that he would be a, a chef and a professional one at that and be really good? And like you said, he has the grandfatherly wisdom. 
uh, at times of stress as well. And I just love the episodes uh, that he's in Homefront and Paradise Lost specifically. Uh, when it's, he's talking to him about, you're confused. You're seeing shapeshifters everywhere, man. It's it's not a conspiracy. And yeah, love it. Um, so Dom, hit or miss for the character then, if that's not Absolutely. redundant. Absolutely. Obvious hit. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. DK? A definite hit. Awesome. And yeah, massive hit for me as well. Like all the Cisco family, really. So yeah, uh, brilliant. That's uh, So that concludes the hit or miss section with mostly positives, except the Enterprise J, which can <laughs> apparently get in the bin. <laughs> so we are going to move on now to our next section uh, which will be the analysis of the episode uh, and i uh, will begin the analysis first of all i do have just a little bit of information about the episode that i wanted to get into behind the scenes stuff and that um so apologies if it's a bit dry but if you have any thoughts on it feel free to chime in because uh, I just thought some of it was a bit interesting. Uh, the writer of the episode, Michael Taylor, apparently based the concept on a famous story of a fan visiting uh, a recluse, the reclusive writer J.D. Salinger uh, for oh. a 1980 interview. And it was apparently just a high school student who simply turned up at his door, which I didn't know about. But that's pretty impressive. Oh, wow. That's very yeah. impressive. Yeah, for sure. And uh, well done that person for just getting an interview with uh, J.D. Salinger. I mean, I dread to think how they got the address. Well, best not overthink that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, the illustrator John Eves based the design for Jake's house on the haunted mansion in Disneyland, which I'd never picked up on. Tony Todd, as we know, also portrayed Wolf's brother Kern uh, and was cast as the older Jake after it was deemed too difficult to make 17-year-old Sir Rock Lofton appear to be in his 70s. Uh, Todd reprised the role of Kern later in the fourth season of DS9 in the episode Sons of Moog. Uh, and Todd commented, I really felt blessed that I was able to do two different roles on DS9 this year, which may or may not be a small feat. So there we go. Um, this next fact that I just found out when researching this episode, and it blew my mind that I didn't know it until now. Rachel Robinson, who played Melanie, the uh, titular visitor of the episode, is the daughter of Andrew Robinson, who played Garak. No so way. I had no idea what? either. Now, when you know that, I looked and I was like, yeah, the, there is a sort of familial resemblance then now you mention it so yeah. oh, oh my god <laughs> that's Weird, so cool i mean wow <laughs> you flash up the star saying the more you know i <laughs> missed a trick by not calling her kirsty <laughs> why <laughs> no, that's a reference to uh andrew robson hellraiser yeah oh okay cool 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 <laughs> I should have I should have thought that. Anyway, uh, but yeah, related to what Dom was saying earlier, the future uniforms and comm badges worn in this episode were reused from all good things. Uh, costume designer Robert Blackman commented that the time frame was similar, so it was considered appropriate to reuse. To which I say, yes, tell that to the new track people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good God. <laughs> Uh, the shot in the upper pylon with Jake staring out into space and Kira approaching from behind to comfort him seems to predict the final shot of the entire series uh, in what you leave behind. The only difference is that the shot in the final episode is from outside the station and this is from inside. Uh, despite the difference in camera position, however, the blocking of the actors is very similar. So that's one of those weird mm. things that's just a, presumably a coincidence, but like, yeah, weird. Um, yeah. 
Uh, Avery Brooks uh, apparently sees this episode as an important milestone in the manner in which American TV depicts non-white families. Uh, speaking of the relationship between Cisco and his son Jake, Brooks said, I'm glad that relationship is there. It is, even in the most naive mind, a sin of omission that we have not looked at this side of people raising their children in other television shows and having some cultural resonance other than that of white Americans. It's something that we have to see more often, the relationship of a brown man and his son, because historically that's not how it began in this country for brown families who didn't have the freedom of their own will and vote let alone the ability to hold their families together. So, uh, yeah. strong agree, but not that I'm yeah. particularly qualified to say it. But, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I think it, it's really nice that being people of colour is, is not really relevant. It's just a familiar relationship that goes forward and, uh, and, and is as important as any other. So, um, did you guys have any thoughts on any of those talking points anyway or behind the scenes info? Well, this is really cool. I mean, uh, I love the idea of the, uh, the the blocking of the certain scene being the same as the final scene because that reminds yeah. me very much of something they actually did in Breaking Bad um, mm. because they had a particular scene in the episode Crawl Space, which I'm not going to say anything for spoilers, but okay. the ending of the episode Crawl Space is directly mirrored to the final episode, the final shot of the final episode in the way that it's an upward pan. Um, and it very much works stylistically because it represents a certain theme of the series. Yeah. But yeah, um, is I love that sort of thing. It, it, cinematography is a, a is a a low key love of mine. So I just awesome. find bits like that really really interesting. That's and of course, cool. yeah, Avery Brooks saying about you know turning point for black families again is really significant because it really was like a lot of the shows and stuff had. A bit of a focus of the whole, you know, there was the whole absentee father thing, mm. uh, which was very much uh, something that had been addressed in shows like The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and all that. And it was very much a stereotype. However, this put a whole new dimension on that sort of thing. And mm. uh, it's like a father trying. It was almost like a metaphor of a father trying his best to be there for his son as opposed yeah, to the other way around. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I'm, I'm sure I'll get into that as we talk about the episode for sure. Because, like I said, it would be ignorant to see it doesn't matter and it could be any family. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, but it, because it is important that it is, uh, like you say, that people of color that, that are involved in this. But at the same time, it, like I said, it's it's a very relatable emotion, I think. Um, yeah. Not least because, you know, everybody has a family. You know? <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. Uh, awesome. Did you guys have any uh, sort of. Quick thoughts then about the episode uh, without getting too spoilery before I jump into the little sections. I just think this is a masterclass of uh, performance for both Avery and Tony. I mm. think they both performed extraordinarily well, even with Avery's limited screen time. She mm. sold the desperation. For sure, and yeah. Tony yeah. just sold the weariness. Like, I love Tony Todd. He's a fantastic oh, actor. Yeah. He's honestly one of the Trek's highlights. Um Along with um, what's his name from? Uh, he played Jeff Zephram Cochrane. Oh, uh, Cromwell. That's the one. Yeah, it's one of those stalwart type actors that have, uh, make multiple appearances in Trek, but each time yeah. they make it fresh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, there's a few like that. Vaughn Armstrong, I think, and um, a few Jeffrey others that have appeared in multiple. Roles. Yes, yeah, yeah. And obviously Jeffrey Combs, <laughs> most famously. Yeah. So. 
awesome awesome uh, well what i do then as i said we used to do it chronologically but that just became a mess so we break it down into little sections like writing and plot and directions or, or i do for my notes but it doesn't yeah. matter if we pop around throughout where the episode especially if it's a timey wimey one like this anyway oh, yeah. um, if, if we want to bring up something that happens later on in the episode and whatnot we assume the audience have seen the episode um so you know spoilers if you haven't maybe go watch it it's only 45 minutes before you uh you listen to this but um okay. yeah uh, so I had a few thoughts, and I, I, I just jump in if there's anything you wanted to kind of uh, counter or disagree or, or anything you wanted to add. Um, so about the writing and the plot, it occurred to me when the episode started that um, I hadn't realized before the narrative is kind of partly about stories in that Jake's a writer and he's struggling to write and stuff. And it presents itself very much like a sort of fireside ghost story um, in the yeah. opening, which might be why the whole haunted mansion theme came into it. Um <laughs> And it is yeah. technically a ghost story because Cisco is haunting Jake throughout his life. So I was like, I wonder if anybody's ever made that uh, that link, or if that's just me. <laughs> I mean, by establishing it as uh, you know, told by old Jake from the start, yeah. it creates a, a kind of feeling of melancholy automatically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in some shows, it'd just be a, a cheap trick, but in this, it really gets to the core of what they're trying to do. Um, yeah, uh, so the next thing I'd noted is just that the subspace inversion of the wormhole that they're going to see is complete techno babble nonsense, but meh, who cares? <laughs> it's just, it could have been anything. They just have to get them there. So. Yeah. Um, I love uh, Ben Cisco. Anytime he's just a good, supportive father, I love it. But I love the kind of Ferris Bueller-esque advice to Jake as a writer where it's like, if you want to write about life, you've got to you know look up an experience mm -hmm. every now and then and not yeah. let it pass you by. So. And that's very resonant as the episode. Very goes. good advice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few too many coincidences for me at the very start when they kind of, again, it, it doesn't hugely matter. We just need to get Cisco to have the accident. But I was like, at one point they say, oh no, this, this is affecting the warp core for some reason. And I was like, ooh, script writing 101, you never put the line for some reason. That's yeah. Kind of, <laughs> that's akin to, you know, Palpatine is alive somehow. Somehow, <laughs> he's, he's somehow he, came, he returned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How? So I was like, could have done better than that, surely. Um, but yeah, it, it, coupled with that, the fact that like everything seemed to go wrong, like the warp core rejection system was offline. And then yeah. I just have to ask myself, why exactly is the captain doing an engineer's job? And I just made the note, Scotty would have never. <laughs> <laughs> he would never have let Kirk get his hands dirty down there. Absolutely not. <laughs> Um, yeah, I didn't really make any note of what the dialogue was, but I thought there was some really great dialogue in the memorial scene uh, for Cisco, particularly Kira yeah. talking about um, yeah. he was more than just a friend. He was the emissary of the prophets. And um, I found it very powerful when older Jake sort of says he, he didn't feel right giving his own eulogy because there would have been too much left out that he couldn't say. Yeah, um, and I was like, wow, that, lines like that really do hit home, don't they? So, and related to that, I was already quite emotional off the back of it, but then little things like people being nice like morn giving jake a little pat on the shoulder and then quark being nice and like no no don't worry about it now go and use the hollow suite i was like oh it's too much <laughs> it's too yeah much. i mean it's yeah. so out of character for quark anyway and drives on just how how lost they know jake to yeah. be and i think it's it's very yeah. subtle but it comes across as incredibly touching i think so yeah definitely i think so for sure yeah, awesome. I, I did like that the story sort of went out of its way for to give reasons why Jake really shouldn't stay and yet show that he's obsessed with doing so because, well, as he, as he says, and I think absolute props to Sirach Lofton, um, who, you know, doesn't get a lot to do in the episode because he's not playing the older version, but 
the scene in which he basically breaks down to Kira that it's all that he thinks he has left of his dad and this was just a, a you know a ruined husk when we first got here um and you know if I leave I wouldn't have anything left of him I think it was a brilliant fantastic sort of breakdown scene uh, and likewise when kind of Cisco appears for the first time and he has to take him to sick bay and sort of feels the guilt of oh I gave up on you I shouldn't have done that um really powerful stuff especially for a 17 year old yeah. which just mm. makes me simultaneously envious and a little bit peeved that he's that good at that young of an age and hasn't had that much work since <laughs> yeah. oh man it's true yeah um but yeah i do love the, the, the kind of emotional plea to his father to sort of stay and not leave him when he's disappearing but can't be done because you know it knocked his temporal signature out of phase and he was pulled into subspace where time doesn't move the same again just babble <laughs> at this point yeah. I, was, I was like yeah I'm, I'm glazing over at this point he's trapped in a subspace prison just say that <laughs> um oh this was my hugest bugbear and i'm curious to know what you guys think i hate that because of the nature of these broadcast type televisions they have to put big moments as for the kind of ad break reveal and this is the ultimate example of giving a huge moment of like older jake going it has to be because I'm dying. Ad break, come back from the ad break. You have to understand that when people my age say that, we're just exaggerating. And, and there's no immediate. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that is so annoying. That really <laughs> is. They have to yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's just trolling you. Yeah, I just I hate whenever they do that. Uh, but yeah, again, the plot just, the way it hits everything home, so the idea that they had to be together when Jake died and that would have freed his father, I think, was very... That, that was a convenience I didn't mind because I th felt like that was literally vital to the story being told. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, definitely, that, yeah. Yeah, that final um, scene between the two of them is just, oh, God. So oh, powerful. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I, I was a little bit annoyed that the episode doesn't really explicitly, this is just my probably, you know, random ADD sense, it doesn't really explicitly explain if Cisco remembers everything because he is oh, told by Jake. I'm pretty yeah. sure he given his reaction when he comes back i think he yeah does. i think yeah. i see I, yeah. I thought that yeah because i think in that I last think... shot you can, I, I don't know if i'm just reading into it but you can see in cisco uh that he finally realizes just how much he means to jake yeah they've had that bond mm. before but when if he's remembering obviously what's gone before just how much jake in essence kind of threw away his own life obsessing over over him mm -hmm. definitely um, yeah, I, just, I would have preferred a little bit more of that, and I would have preferred for, for Ben to just literally tell Jake rather than because that's what I didn't like was the line. Oh, I, how did you know? I, I was just lucky, I guess. I was like, oh, I, I, I don't like the ambiguity that line presents. Like, it probably is just like, why worry my son? And I'll just, you know, well, that's the thing. I was thinking, like, yeah. why would he want to be like, hi, Jake, I saw you become an old recluse and you die. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. True, true. Um, yeah, I guess so. But the only thing that kind of, I think, made it a bit confusing to me was, and this is kind of a talking point I wanted to bring up to you guys as well, um, is that when I was looking the episode up on Memory Alpha, um, it mentioned that, oh, this episode is uh, another of what could be termed as bad dream episodes where nothing happened and it didn't matter and it was what? reset. So like in Voyager, for example, and I was like, is it? Because if the effect on Cisco, it, on Ben Cisco, yeah. is still just as real, then... Surely, I mean, yes, it's an alternate timeline, but it's not like nothing. Like it's this isn't year of hell where it's just like, well, nothing happened. Doesn't matter. Has no effect on the characters. We don't remember anything. So those two episodes are wasted. <laughs> so, um, so, I yeah, definitely that was, that don't think it's point. a reset button. I mean, that could you know be wishful thinking on my part, but I, I I do believe that you know Ben remains all the retains all the memories of what's gone on. 
hundred percent. I believe that he fought. Uh, he fully does. I personally think he does. Yeah, well, fair enough. I'm, I'm... I mean, if I uh, I remember his reaction to like seeing Jake again when he's back, uh, quite vividly, and he's very, very like emotional. Mm. So yeah. I feel like he's got to remember it somehow. Uh, otherwise, yeah. he'd be just like, "Ooh, that was a close one, wasn't it?" Instead of just like, yeah. uh, "Sure, he <laughs> said something to that uh, effect," but it's the emotion behind it, and yeah, is not gonna be entirely truthful. I don't think. I don't think he's going to just you know. Uh, explain something that could be seen as quite ludicrous, and I wonder if he's gone mad. But uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, part of me laments. I think that these episodes are so short because I felt felt like the ending was abrupt, and I would have liked. Well, th- throughout it kind of seemed like it was having to go too fast, and it could have lived with the drama even more, perhaps, um, and explored some things a bit better. But at the yeah, end, it's the same with Children in Time, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, completely. But I think, like I said, this is one of those things that. For all people complain about streaming, I am glad that we have a world now where it's like if you need 55 minutes instead of 44 to tell your story, then there you go, you have yeah. it. <laughs> Which I'm sure you know, Tom, as somebody who's just watched Breaking Bad and the episode lengths are like wildly variable. It's just whatever yeah. time you need. So. <laughs> yeah, it goes between like 55, 42 or anything <laughs> like that. Exactly. It's crazy. Um, so I kind of wish that there was there was that in these DS9 stories, especially the better ones where I was like, oh, I could have... I could have really liked this. Maybe just me being a bit sadistic, but I could have lived in this emotion a bit more and uh, really felt it. And I would have liked an explanation for, because as I say, a part of me is like worried that like, oh, if the timeline changes, did Cisco remember? But then we'll gradually forget. And it might have been nice to have like a debrief scene or something at the end where he confides to Dax or somebody about what happened and that he still remembers. And it's well, kind of a... Is, he's <laughs> with, he's, I mean, he's with the prophets now, so... I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, we think he is. <laughs> well, true. I, I know. I kind of like the ambiguity. I kind of, I think really? you can see it in his eyes at the end, and I, I like it. I like the fact that they've just kind of left it there, as Dom says. You know, he has that reaction later on, but I like that it didn't have this explanation at the end of it. I understand that definitely. Fair enough. I just thought, personally, for me, it was a bit abrupt. But if you guys prefer that thing, I can definitely see that as well. Like it, it's. It has I more impact they, that way. Yeah, <laughs> I guess they wanted to avoid the thing being like, I had this wonderful dream and you were there and you were there. And the exposition that you don't really need because you've already seen it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, for an audience member, I guess it would be annoying because it's like, yeah, we know we saw it. So, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, the other talking point I wanted to bring up for you, just to discuss randomly between us, if possible, um, in terms of the overall plot, like normally this kind of utterly devoted love story would be romantic. Um, but it's very interesting here that it's actually between a father and son. And do you think that makes the episode perhaps even more impactful and profound? Because I feel like it does, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> I feel it does, because it's yeah. it's not often that you get um, like father and son stories in this in these shows, like yeah. Star Trek, because they're, they're never really together. It's a very unique thing that uh, Jake is on DS9 and with Cisco. Um, mm. I can't think off the top of my head of anything that has been done similar aside from Worf and Alexander. I do uh, like the Spock Sarek relationship eventually when Sarek stops just being a jerk. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, true. That but that did take some time. Yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah, but Worf yeah. and Alexander is a weird one because Worf just seemed like he didn't care about yeah. Alexander. It was very just like you're an inconvenience. <laughs> yeah. Which of yeah. course did mess him up. Um <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> 
we've talked about that in the past as well. That uh, yeah, various writers wanted to write Alexander out in big ways. Anyway, yeah. Um, so uh, I, the next section that I have was directing, but I've been talking way too long, so I'm going to throw it open to you guys. Um, do you, have, you guys have any thoughts on the direction or specific things that um, popped out to you when you were watching the episode? I. Yeah. DK, do you want to go first? No, no, no. I've, oh. I've not really got much to say. I just, oh. you know, I just think it, it was it was quite subtle. But uh, yeah, yeah, go for it, man. I think it was just a very well shot and well directed episode in terms of the performances. That's mm. my main like takeaway yeah. from it because, as I said before, Tony and Avery were wonderful. But I, I like, I just love this whole oppressive feel in terms of uh, Jake's obsession. Because yeah. it does feel like an obsession. It is characterized as an obsession. It's almost like Moby Dick, but out of love. Yeah, yeah. yeah I never, never actually made that connection, but it is. It is that obsession, isn't it? So yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I mean yeah. you know, Ben obviously wants what's best for his son. So mm. when he sees that he spent his life obsessing, obsessing over trying to get him back, you can just feel the heartbreak coming from the screen. Definitely. Yeah. I would, I would, I would take slight issue with that and say that when you say obviously. Ben wants the best for his own. I don't think it's necessarily that obvious. And I think it's important that we do see that because that's one of my favorite things about the episode is that Cisco is, uh, Ben Cisco, sorry, is to all intents and purposes dying, being ripped from reality or whatever. And he never once thinks of himself. He's always asking Jake, like, what did you do? What have I missed? Have you got grandkids yet? Who's this woman you're with? And go and live your life. Don't worry about me. And I'm like, that is. I'm not sure I would personally be that selfless. Oh, and I don't no. think I could either. I'd be like, I would just, get me out of here! <laughs> exactly, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've, I don't personally have any, have any children, but I no, think me neither. <laughs> once you've got kids, you, you, are, mm. you, know, you do put them first in all things. That's that's it's, what I take That's what you think. <laughs> I, I 100% agree. Uh, yeah, obviously that is, you know, that, that's the ideal. But I do think related to what Don was saying, it is no small thing that it shows that because that's not the kind of... And, and it's not even related to sort of the people of color thing or anything. It's just that relationships between parents and children in that era, I think you didn't tend to see them that much. Okay. And so when you did, it was always all the more powerful. Um, like that famous kind of Uncle Phil and uh, Will Smith scene. It's yeah. just like, we yeah. actual men showing genuine affection for each other. What is this? Because um, it was very kind of, the 90s was still very much like men do not show emotion. We have stiff upper lip and we move on. And uh, it was nice to see different things like that, like you know, genuine men caring for each other because they're related. <laughs> so, um... I think I think they they handled the uh, familial aspect in Deep Space Nine fantastically for what little yeah. time that they did have. I mean, you look at the other, you know, obvious family connection in Star Trek at that point, which was you know Bev and Wesley. Mm. Uh, this is everything that that wasn't, and I'm so glad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they never did do anything with that either when you think about it. And she didn't seem bothered when he just left the ship. No, she, and this is why I like uh, the Cisco's. They actually do seem to care about each other, whereas Beverly, for sure. you know, oh, Wesley's gone. Oh, oh well. Or even Wesley in season two when his mum's gone. And it's like, well, why are you still on the ship? And I'm still here. I, I want to train. Like, he, There's no way you wouldn't just go with your mum, no. dude. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah uh, there's... Yeah, I, th I think this anyway. was a, a, a big step up in, in, in writing that side of things. For sure, yeah. And little moments, as I said, there's one in this episode, but I think it's peppered throughout the thing. So little things like Ben giving Jake like fatherly advice, uh, a little goes a long way, like just live your life, be a good writer, I'm going to support you. And uh, yeah, I loved all of that. So 
Um, but related to the direction specifically, I kind of just again piggybacking off Dom was saying, off what Dom was saying. Sorry, um, I, I did think the direction of the characters to me was it very much put me in mind of like a play because it was very sort of contained and it, it was focusing on the emotion rather than doing anything too flashy whenever there was a scene between uh, like Avery and Tony Todd mainly. Um, and I was like, this could easily just be transferred to a stage and you would be feeling the emotion live in person. Um, but on the other side of that, there were some also really incredible scene transitions that I noticed. So that like um, older Jake hears his wife shouting off screen and then the camera pans and it's cutting to a few years ago when he was younger. Um, or uh, breaking the cup and then that being, you know, when Ben appeared in the past so that one thing transitions to another really well and it kind of keeps it feeling like it has the flow of a story and it never jars you that like, hang on, where are we here in the timeline? <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. And the other, the final note I made is that the uh, the makeup they put on to make Tony Todd look either older or younger, I think was virtually flawless. I didn't find really any good. issue with it. So, yeah. No. Awesome, very, awesome. Very um, so yeah, the next thing that I, that uh, we may as well look at then would be the acting, which we've kind of touched on already. But uh, Dom, yeah. what, this is this is your chance to just basically rave for a bit. What did you think of the <laughs> acting in the? Well, uh, let's take the final scene uh, in isolation <sighs> alone. Beautiful yeah. between the two. It was just marvelous. Like you could feel the emotion, uh, almost this sense of pride that was relling from like uh, Jake. Versus this desperation and like heartbreak that was coming from from Benjamin, uh, it was just so well executed. The writing and directing, the actor, they all did phenomenally. I really, really enjoyed. Just well, it was get it got me emotional. One that like when I saw it for like the mm. first few times, it was just it's oh, such it still a does, powerful. Yeah. yeah, it's so powerful. Yeah. It's so powerful. It I always find this a really tough watch. Hmm. That's uh, that's understandable. I think it is. It's one of those, and I, I, I will bring that up when I talk about the reception of the episode because one of the people who starred in it feels the same way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah kind of what I wanted to ask was how did you guys feel about Tony Todd playing the older Sirach Lofton? Because personally, I thought he did a really good job of capturing the little mannerisms and stuff. Like, I never questioned it was the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I definitely really enjoyed him as, uh, as Jake because he was. Perfect. I think he was. I don't think you could really have done any better than what Tony did because he captured, yeah. as you say, those little nuances and essences that Sirach brought to young Jake and just made them into an older man. Like we all really change as we get older, especially from jumps uh, like they made. Uh, so they made like really good decisions in how they represented this change of in Jake. Definitely. But I will say, if, if I'm being critical, if you want to see an example of how to not do the kind of acting different when you get to old age, Alexander Siddig in this episode, man. Thank you. That's, uh, that's the one thing yeah. I was going to bring up. I'm glad you did it. Yeah. That's just ah. like, all right, dude, you're not going to... You, you, when you get old, you don't just randomly change your entire like accent and inflection. and It's very much like, you know... <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> I am an actor. I am old now, Dax. Do you know yeah. I'm old? <laughs> like, all right, calm down, dude. <laughs> Let's leave some scenery intact if you don't mind. <laughs> They're trying their best. They couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so weird because Terry Farrell is the opposite. Like, she's really good at just being a tiny bit of a different Jadzia as she gets older. Yeah. And then he he's in there giving it full last of the summer wide. <laughs> he is in proper oh. panto mode. <laughs> Reminds uh, yeah. me of no, uh, McCoy in... Uh, and uh, Farpoint. 
Yeah, I thought, even that I thought was a lot more subtle and kind of still the character. But then McCoy's quite a larger than life character anyway, I guess. True, so true. He's quite a broad kind of southern stereotype almost. Um, but yeah, that, I mean that's a that's a minor niggle, and no offense to uh, to Mr. Siddick, I'm sure he, he well I know he was fantastic throughout the series, but that yeah. was just one moment where obviously if DK noticed it as well, I was just like, oh dude, it, you're bringing me out of the scene a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Kudos to uh, Terry Farrell and uh, Aaron Eisenberg for playing all the versions of their characters and having to put up with that and still be good. So, um, awesome. But yeah, when it comes to, to Tony Todd, I think I was going to say he captures the kind of, as you said, Ahab-like level of frustration and obsession really well. And it's incredible to me how different uh, the older Jake is to Kern, which you can obviously see when they're in the same season. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a credit, I think, to how good an actor he is that those are so different. And then not that long later than that, he appeared as a Herodian hunter in Voyager and again is completely different again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then obviously, you know, most famously, he's known for playing the Candyman and there's no hint of like malice and sinister stuff in this performance, which would be yeah. easy considering it's like a dark, rainy night in a haunted house. And I was like, it's amazing that he doesn't just like, you're not like, all right, woman, get away. The Candyman's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And you've touched upon him, but I think Aaron Eisenberg did a really good job, especially when he was mm. playing his other self. Yeah, for sure. Well, he he plays the three ages thing because obviously, like he's Nog, like this, not long after they've lost Cisco, then Nog at the not the academy. He's just graduated. He's like an ensign or a lieutenant, um, lieutenant, I think, because they mentioned he's got an extra pip. And then, as you said, when he's captaining the Defiant later, it's like, oh wow, awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, he's very good anyway, though, isn't he? Yeah. So, All the time. Um, yeah, we lost a good I, actor there. Oh, for yeah. sure. I mean, we've lost too many good actors from DS9, as I said, but let's mm. not get bogged down in that or we'll all end up crying. Back to what I was saying about what, now that we know that Rachel Robinson is Andrew J's daughter, she's really good. There's definitely not just nepotism that got this job because she's powering this narrative when you think about it. And mm. I think she's incredible in the episode. So, yeah, kudos to that. <laughs> do you guys have any Absolutely. thoughts on the other characters then before I, I move on? I, uh, I do like the fact that because she's a writer... Every so often, she, you know, she intimates that she's a writer. <laughs> ah. Well, yeah, but so does Jake. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of, yeah. I like that later on when he goes, "Yes, because you're a writer." Because you're a writer. Yeah, exactly. Writer. <laughs> I love that she, she, like, oh, can I please take this? Your first copy that with written notes. No, you bloody can't. You can take <laughs> a copy like everyone else. <laughs> oh my goodness. Analysis. Right, so the next thing we will do then is, uh, if you're uh, unfamiliar because we've only started doing it recently, we uh, always go around and ask your favourite character moment and line from the episode. Uh, and I always feel bad because I keep forgetting to mention this to the guests and they, they're very on the spot. But, uh, oh, fine. Uh, <laughs> Dom, we will uh, we'll come to you last to give you a chance to think. But Diki, I'll come to you first. Who's your favourite character in the episode? <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, it's got to be Jake, hasn't it? It's his story and the performance of both uh, Todd and Lofton, they're exemplary. Yeah. Um, I, see, I said it probably should be Jake, but for me, it's actually Ben, because like I said, I just adore that he remains selfless and unashamedly devoted to his son and, and ensuring that he has a good life. Uh, and there's something very powerful about that, and it's kind of in a very emotional and sad episode it's kind of hopeful in that star trek way like i hope that somebody that would feel that way for me you know so um so that's why i went with ben cisco rather than jake so uh, what about mm. you dom i um it's, it's between the ciscos obviously yeah uh, i think that's yeah 
I love how just Ben's small appearances are just so poignant, but I love to see the, uh, you know, the degradation, as it were, of Jake as he just gets falls into the obsessive trap. Mm. I would say yeah. probably Jake because it is a very good character study in that regard. Yeah, I um, understand that. That makes sense. And uh, like in terms of line, I'd say is one of the last bits that he says before the reset in like, uh, we're going to get a second chance, something along those lines, because oh, okay. it shows kind of like it, this is all it was for. This is, he spent all his time trying to bring his dad back, but not even as such. It became more of a mission of giving his youngest, saving his younger self from that fate yeah. that he has led, saving his younger self from the life that he has been forced to lead. I think that feeds into what I was saying about like I, I would have liked to see more of the drama because it, it's kind of sad to me that we learned through just him telling us that like his relationship with his wife fell apart because he became so obsessed and went back to school to study whatever it is quantum mechanics or whatever to help him to be able to to rescue his dad and I think you could have maybe done with a scene even if it was just a single scene of like him being overtaken by that obsession and her frustration at it and because yeah, he doesn't seem bitter at her, or it's kind of like it's understandable that she felt that way, you know. Might have just been a case of uh, he lost, you know, interest and she left. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, there was something there maybe to be explored, but that's the again there, I guess. It's so. What about you, DK? Do you have a favorite line from the episode? Uh, well, I think you've touched upon it earlier. It's the. Uh... I'm no writer, but if I were, it seems to me I'd want to poke my head up every once in a while and take a look around, see what's going on. It's life, Jake. You can miss it if you don't open your eyes. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around every <laughs> once in a while, you might miss it. <laughs> yeah, I'm really amazed Jake didn't go, yes, Dad, I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I have a couple because I really, I almost went for the line... Um, they're both, both very powerful, so apologies for the emotion, but I almost went for um, the line, for me and for the boy I was, he needs you more than you know, which I think is a great summation of the episode. But the line that really got like a, a lump way too lodged in my throat, and I don't even know why, is just read the dedication to my father who's coming home. And I was just like, oh, that got me. I don't even know why, but it did. Um, so, yeah, powerful moment. Uh, yeah. So the, the next thing I was going to do is just to talk a little bit about the reception of the episode because it's pretty famous and some of it's quite interesting as well. Hmm. Um, so again, if you have any thoughts or anything, feel free to chime in. But um, yeah, Avery Brooks and Sir Rock Lofton cite this as one of their favourite episodes along with Far Beyond the Stars. Oh, man. We said City on the Edge of Forever was my favourite all-time track and I forgot Far Beyond the Stars existed. Oh, <laughs> Far Beyond the Stars are so good. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, um, director David Livingston says simply that The Visitor is the best piece of material I've ever been able to direct in terms of the script. High praise. Uh, Ira Stephen mm -hmm. Bear says The Visitor was that certain kind of Star Trek episode that really appealed very strongly to certain people. It's a whole heart on the sleeve, sentimental, emotional, personal story. Yeah, fair enough. Um, mm. Producer Steve Roster yeah. enthuses, it was wonderfully written, wonderfully performed, but I think everyone was surprised at the audience reaction. No one expected it to have the emotional impact that it did. Oh, that's interesting. So, mm. um, in a 1996 issue of TV Guide, it was voted the best Star Trek show ever. Uh, TV Guide called this result a shocker, surprised that apparently the least popular incarnation of Star Trek produced the most popular show. I'm sorry, but DS9 pretty much came out on top of the people I asked for their favorite franchise. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, I do think is... it's, 
it, it's got gained more popularity as the years have gone on. Yeah, I, I guess it's developed the cult follow, following an extreme after it ended. But I always thought I, it was very popular, um, at least more popular than Voyager was at the time. Oh, definitely. Voyager took a kicking, which always upset me a bit because I love that that series mm. personally. But um, yeah. I think every Voyager. series took a bit, bit of a bit of a slating. Yeah, because Enterprise did as well. But then again, Enterprise's first two seasons weren't great. So, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, Next Gen did, didn't it? Mm. Oh, Next Gen's first series was oh, whoa, it's a miracle it got recommissioned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Code of Honor really should have been enough to just stop it from existing forever. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> Uh, where was I? Um, TV Guide ranked this as the 10th best Star Trek episode for their celebration of the franchise's 30th anniversary. And their reviewer wrote, Easily Deep Space Nine's finest hour and the most haunting, heartfelt Trek installment ever. Uh, I'm sorry, but Deep Space Nine's finest hour, when Far Beyond the Stars and its own near paper moon exist? Calm down. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of place um, them all alongside each other. You would. <laughs> <laughs> Get off the fence, DK. I'm joking. I'm kidding. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> As I was alluding to earlier, in 2020, Sirach often commented, all these years later, you know what's going to happen. You know what it's about. I've read the script. It's been 25 years, but yet still I'm dripping tears watching this episode. I can't make myself not feel these emotions. Uh, yeah. Sirach, you are not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of amazing that I've got somebody that acted in it and knows the script and everything, but I think it's, it's powerful enough to justify that. So awesome. awesome. Um, right. So we, we will eventually go to the uh, conclusions and things. But before that, uh, I do have uh, some audience interaction this week. Um, I put out on Twitter, what do people think of this episode? And there's some interesting, uh, I think, back and forth. So uh, without any further ado, we are going to go to the section that I call subspace communications. Incoming transmission. Uh, so yeah, I asked what people thought of the visitor. Um, at Crafty Peaches says, "I like how it showcased love, specifically love between the Cisco men and love for Jake by everyone on DS9. I felt conflicted about Jake giving up living his life to get his dad back, but it worked, so it wasn't a waste." So, yeah, I can imagine if it hadn't worked, that would have been a really depressing episode. Oh god, yeah. So. Mm. <laughs> um, at Camos Mills says, "I like the episode, a sad yet happy ending." really brings home Jake and Benjamin's relationship and how badly boys need their fathers. But I've always found this detail funny. Um, and he put a little uh, transcript of the scene where Nog mentions that Quark has his own moon finally, but Rom is with him to keep it from falling out of orbit. <laughs> little moments that are just a bit of humour. So, yeah, I like it. Um, at 914 Neil says, absolutely love it. More proof that the best depiction of an African-American family during the 90s wasn't the Cosby show, but DS9. Oh, Neil, oh, <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> yeah. Fresh Prince was worth a look. I thought I enjoyed that. Anyway, um, Alex J. Harmon says, I've always loved the episode. It's up there with Far Beyond the Stars in the Pale Moonlight, uh, and it's only a paper moon. <laughs> um, at E. Kelly 1701 says, The Visitor is a deep one, as much about storytelling as it is about growing up, regret, and sacrifice. It's in the top 10 tracks of all time. At Stevan Gutchu says the only thing they got wrong was Terry Farrell's makeup because I get so many years later now and he doesn't look any different. So, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> at Admiral Miyoko simply says, I love this app. It brings me to tears. Um, at Crafty Peaches, time back in to say also Tony Todd is extraordinary and was perfectly cast as an elder Jake, which Tony Todd himself then retweeted because he was tagged. 
so oh, well, obviously oh, seems nice. to like the actor. <laughs> um, Nicholas Wally, Night Star Fury, says, I think it more than deserves its reputation, especially since it showed a family fractured by space and time and how a son was willing to move heaven and earth to get his father back and in so doing get a second chance with his father and his extended family. Um, and at guy underscore red shirt says, I'm not going to lie, I've seen it several times and I still cry. <laughs> um, dumb French rat chef with these names says it makes you wonder if the Dominion War and all of the season six finale consequences are actually all Cisco's fault for not disappearing into a warp core breach forever. That's a bit harsh. Oh, <laughs> brutal. That's <laughs> yeah. well, a slightly um, fair I, point. Yeah, it's kind of fair point, yeah, because it didn't seem to happen in the alternate time. Yeah, yeah, Jadzia was alive and everything. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, at Hardy24 says it's one of the most important episodes for Jake. I think it did a disservice to Sir Rock Lofton to cast someone else in it, um, which sparked a little bit of a debate, I think, which is probably fair. Um, at Butterfly Sinky replied, well, I, while I agreed that Sir Rock had the talent to carry it himself, I don't know they could have convincingly made a teenager look and act 80 for most of the episode. Yeah. Um, Hardy then changed my and it could have been changed to 50 or 60 or whatever without really affecting the story. Uh, and then at Butterfly Slinky again replies, "It still would. I still wouldn't try to make seventeen-year-old Sir Rock Lofton act middle-aged." Yeah, I think, I think that's yeah. fair because he was so young at the time. I think yeah. it's easier to make someone who's in their thirties look a yeah. lot older than uh, someone who's still freshly a teenager. Yeah, for sure. And, to, yeah. and you can tell in other things as well, like their voice and everything. I don't think he could be able to lower his voice enough to no, convincingly. Well do an old one old old man yeah or or you would end up with alexander Siddig's scenario yeah <laughs> oh, God. anyway um this is quite a personal one so thank you for sharing it at ross underscore mckinney just says 10 years ago i thought it was a decent episode nine years ago it hit different for me i lost my dad and decided to watch ds9 all over as he loved trek when this episode came up i was a basket case because i'd experienced a loss i can imagine dude I, I, i'm sorry about that and thank you for sharing the story um mm. At Natick Bobcat says, Space Dad, Dadding so dang hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at Dwayne Griffin 62 says, It's my all time favorite Star Trek episode. Uh, so that's fair enough. Uh, and let's see what else have we got here. Um, and finally, Andrew at the Spoilist says, um, In response to my, I put an additional prompt of, Would you say this is the franchise's best time travel story? And if not, what is? And Andrew, the spoilers, just says the city on the edge of forever is everything. No further questions, which I think we've kind of established as fairly at this point. Um, he then says, and uh, this is going to definitely win the hot take award for this episode, because he then chimes in, if we're just talking Deep Space Nine, I think I prefer Children of Time to The Visitor. That's a hot take Ooh. and a half, I think. I mean, it's a, as I said, I don't know about prefer. I think Children of Time's underrated, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, then Tristan, your part is weak, replied. Children of Time's wonderful. We don't talk about it enough. E. Hutchinson says that sucker punch is just brutal. We've talked about this already because we mentioned it in the hit or miss. Um, yeah, one of the all-time greats is, uh, just seems to be the consensus on the visitor. So uh, awesome. So with that out of the way, I think that it's pretty much universally beloved, I would say, given the uh, majority of the comments. So uh, we were going to ask you guys now for your conclusion and just go out of five Starfleet Deltas. Uh, Can I just ask before we do? Uh, I might have blacked out. I know we did favourite character and favourite line. Did we do a favourite scene? Oh, we probably didn't actually. I think we skipped over it because yeah, ah. I was I was um, I was just leading on from Dom's line and I completely forgot. So yeah, 
why not go back and do it now? What was your favourite moment in the episode? DK, we'll start with you. Oh, God. Uh, I can't really say favourite. It's always a, a punch <laughs> to the gut. But the uh, the scene in Sick Bay where Ben asks Jake how mm. he is and Jake just breaks down crying, it just gets yeah. me every time. Yeah, very powerful. Uh, the scene that I put down was the scene where Cisco returns for the third time and Jake's married and he's basically just dedicated to finding out about his life and like I said, even that little bit of I still want grandkids and everything was kind of really nice for me, so that was the scene I picked. What about you, Dom? That final scene between them. Absolutely yeah, amazing. <laughs> obviously. Fair enough. Um, so how do we want to do the conclusions and scores? Would you like me to go first, everyone? Yes. Yeah, go Fair enough. Apologies again, it's going to seem like I'm reading a written statement because I am. <laughs> um, I just said it was an undeniably powerful episode. Like the best of the genre, it uses science fiction as a springboard to tell a contained, relatable personal story, exploring human emo emotion, in this case, familial love, and the bond between a father or any lone parent and son. Avery, Sirock, and Tony sell the heck out of that, and the episode is undeniably an acting tour de force. If I'm being honest, the episode does feel a bit rushed, without enough time to really sit in the emotions, which could have made it even more impactful overall. Uh, the script also has a few just-go-with-it moments, and at times it feels a little, dare I say it, manipulative, which can come off a bit forced. Um, luckily, the actors are more than strong enough to overcome this in their scenes, and the build-up of emotion is palpable until those final powerful moments. Uh, it's definitely resonant, thanks to some great writing, and especially acting, but it's a little too bleak for my taste without having the focused point and message behind it of episodes like Far Beyond the Stars or It's Only a Paper Moon. But that said, it's still top-tier Trek, and I can definitely see why it's so beloved by many. Uh, and I went with four stars out of five. So, um, yeah. Apologies to anybody that would... How dare you go below five? But, yeah. I do I want to take you out back and give you a slap in, mate. It's got to be <laughs> <laughs> You're in Spain, so good luck with that. <laughs> oh, Wow. So, DK, did you want to go next, or Don, would you rather go? What? Uh, that's okay, you go. Yeah, okay, well, like Mike, it's uh, it's written down, so bear with me. Uh, a criticism of DS9 when it began was that it was not proper Star Trek and disrespected Gene's vision. It's a shame Gene didn't get to see how it panned out, because to my mind, by its end, DS9 arguably encapsulated his vision better than any series before or since with several episodes being not just the best of this particular iteration, but of the franchise itself. The Visitor is one such episode. Coming immediately after the new direction taken with Way of the Warrior, it's a brave choice trading political intrigue and action for a deeply personal story of the relationship between a boy and his father, touching upon family, regret, our own mortality, and the life we choose to lead. Michael Taylor's script is full of emotion, and the performances of Siroc, Avery and Tony Todd selling the premise completely. If I'm being completely honest, I was dreading revisiting this one for the show because it is so powerful and at times heartbreaking. And despite preparing myself psychologically, I was still broken by the end of it. I defy anyone to watch this episode and not be touched by it. And I've given it five. Hmm. That's, I kind of figured the score. <laughs> so that's fair enough. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Dom, sorry, the moment has come. That's what are okay. your thoughts on the final score? Well, well, I didn't write anything down, so this is purely from uh, uh, my head. But yeah, as I've made very clear, I hold this episode in extremely high regard from how it handled all the themes. Uh, personally, unlike you guys, I wasn't able to watch this episode prior to uh, this podcast, so I'm going 
it automatically on memory not because i didn't have time but i i just couldn't do it because i lost my mum recently and i was fully aware of the impact that the episode would probably have so i made the purposeful decision i i don't think i can rewatch it yet yeah but i have very strong memories of it which is what's yeah. been propelling me through and uh yeah it's an incredibly powerful episode that when i do eventually get around to it i expect to be a full mess because yeah. of how resonant it is with that theme of family mm. and in a sense that's something to love about it because i think it is uh, one of the best if not the best episode in regards to family that trek has done so yeah, yeah. i would give it a five out of five awesome awesome yeah that's nice. fair enough I, I never did say sorry for your loss by the way Dom, oh but no it's okay sorry, Dom. That's, that's all right um, that's all right yeah I, apologies if it's brought anything up talking about the episode because oh, we've no, been quoting okay. it back and forth and everything but um that's yeah, all right very, very well done. so yeah so that's two fives and a four uh which would make the average for the podcast 4.666 we'll just call it 4.7 out of yeah. uh, out of five um, Starfleet deltas so yeah we'll round it up so yeah i think i think that's fair because I, I i felt four was perhaps a little too mean on my part but now that it's rounded up to a 4.7 uh i think that's that's fair enough <laughs> that's that's kind of encapsulates my feelings because <laughs> uh yeah, as I said, there's episodes that I think I would not want to see it are, you know, aren't more powerful. So that was my thinking anyway. But anyway, so yeah, it just remains to say thank you so much to Dom for joining us today. No problem. And, uh, it's been a pleasure you. being here. Yeah, thanks, It's always dude. good talking Trek. I always forget how much you know about Star Trek because you're so well known for other stuff. So oh, yeah. I'm always, <laughs> always amazed when you start talking and I'm like, oh, yeah, you have seen it all. <laughs> you, you know your Enterprise and your Voyager oh, yeah. and everything. So <laughs> awesome, awesome. That's cool. Uh, yeah, and thanks again to my co-host, DK. DK, Thank how are you doing? Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and Dom today. So thank you for that. Oh, thanks, man. No worries. <laughs> I, I was just here. I was just here to guide the ship. So <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's fair enough. So, Dom, did you have uh, any uh, sort of social medias or anything uh, coming up that you wanted to share with people? Yes. So, I'm on Twitter as at DominicJGM, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dominus of Time. So, yeah, those are my main social medias, really. Awesome. Uh, I don't really say much about Star Trek, but because yeah. I'm mainly Doctor Who focused, but yeah. hey, you never know. And you do have, um, you, you are, I think, working on some Doctor Who fan film. It feels like a disservice yes. to call it fan film because it's bloody close to good to TV quality. But yeah. Oh, that's very that's sweet. Awesome. But yeah, I'm doing that uh, with the DW2012 YouTube channel, which is a lot of fun. Awesome. It's re I highly recommend checking out that and the uh, the remnants stories and everything because it's all really impressive. Oh, so thank you. If, you're, if you're a Doctor Who fan and you're kind of, increasingly annoyed like i am at these long gaps between single episodes and want more content it's always uh nice to find things like that and uh yeah so yeah awesome uh dk any last words before we sign off no no just the regular twitter at ak star lord and i think everything else is in the description anyway it will be uh that's cool so yeah uh, awesome so yeah thanks again everyone for uh listening to us and uh come back next week where as i mentioned we are going to be dealing with another powerful episode, The City on the Edge of Forever, and we're going to see what our good friend Will, who will be watching it for the very first time, makes of the episode, and will we have broken him or not. So, <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned for that bit of intrigue. So, yeah, awesome. We'll see you then. And in the meantime, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper.
You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Twitter at HomeTrack, on Instagram at HomeStarTrekPodcast, or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.